to begin today's show. I am joined on the line by Alex Hemingway, who's an economist with the public finance, or sorry, with the uh, Canadian Center for Policy Alternatives, BC office. We're talking about uh, how Canada's parliamentary budget officer has said it's not unthinkable that the federal debt could reach $1 trillion during this fiscal year. Alex, thanks so much for uh, taking the time here. Really appreciate it. Doing well. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Hey, thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Okay, so uh, you put out this piece that's it's titled Don't Fear Government Debt After COVID-19. I just want to maybe start by getting you to explain why you feel that the public should not be scared of this massive debt and these massive numbers that are being projected here. Well, they are they are big numbers, uh, and you know we hear the the annual deficit pr- projections or, or some of those long term debt numbers, and they can sound scary. I think the the important thing is to uh, put them in perspective, and uh, for for a number of reasons that this is really not something that we should be concerned about right now. You know, there are a lot of things to worry about right now. This isn't one of them. And one of the reasons for that is, uh, first of all, uh, borrowing costs for government are extremely low right now. So those interest rates that uh, the government of Canada, uh, for example, pays on a 30-year bond are are hovering around 1%. They're very low. And so what that means is it it depends on how you're using that money. So if, if you're making public investments that have even relatively uh, uh, modest social and economic payoffs, uh, you're actually going to end up better off than if you didn't make those investments. So, for example, you know, if you're investing in a piece of infrastructure or helping uh, keep households uh, afloat, uh, that's going to uh, uh, yield an economic payoff in the medium and long term. Uh, and, and there's very good reason to believe that payoffs is going to be bigger than the interest being paid on that debt. So, you know, we don't uh, love the idea of going uh, uh, into debt per se, but you got to trade that off against what the alternative is. Okay, so borrowing costs for government, extremely low. Okay, that makes sense in, in terms of, uh, you know, why taking out debt now makes makes sense, right? Especially when we're trying to get people off their feet, especially, uh, you know, as we go through this really hard time for a lot of people who are losing their jobs or having to close their businesses or at least, you know, shutter them for some time. It, of course, there makes a lot of sense why, um, you know, some of these programs might be of more benefit to, to, the, to the public than it would be to be worried about what that public debt... Uh, um, actually is going to look like come the end of the year. But uh, I guess what, what other reasons, aside from that low borrowing costs, what, what other reasons can we have here? I mean, one of the things that I see that you put in your piece here was talking about just how long the government does have to pay back some of this debt. And, and you know, why is that something like when you look at uh, the flexibility, I guess, that comes with being a, a, a government and taking out money and, and, and having that debt, why is that something that's advantageous as well? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the alternative to taking on government or public debt right now, if people are going to make ends meet, really the alternative to that is piling more private debt on households that are already badly over over leveraged. That's not something we want. And so one of the benefits of uh, using our sort of shared collective institutions like government to bridge ourselves uh, during a period like this is, you know, unlike a household, government's have very long uh, time horizons over which to to manage their debts. You know, if you're a household, you've only got so many working years, so many years of income to to expect. Government's in quite a different situation. And, you know, we know from past experience, uh, we we went through this in World War II, Canada's debt to GDP ratio rose uh, above uh, 100% 
coming out of that war. Uh, but we know from that experience we can come out of a crisis like this and, and manage those debt loads uh, while the economy grows over time. So that long time horizon for our government is important. Uh, and, you know, the, the, there are other pieces to the puzzle here, too. You know, one other that I think is important to mention is we, we are a very, very wealthy society, uh, but we're also a very unequal one. So another way that we can manage these costs over time is uh, um, by uh, getting a little bit more serious about taxing the super rich in, in our country uh, and uh, using those funds to help fund those public investments on an ongoing period of time and, and to service those debts uh, as we pay them down. And, and one, I just want to double back there. I mean, you talk about the experience of, of World War II and, and how that sort of uh, can be compared, I guess, to this COVID-19 crisis in terms of just the debt we're going to come, that is going to come with with, uh, with what's happening here in the world. Um, is that a fair comparison? I mean, we're talking about something that was over 70, you know, 75 years ago here when we're talking about coming out of World War II. I mean, is, how, how do you compare those two, uh, the, these two, um, you know, world uh crises that we're going through yeah it's a good question so it's not to say that they're they're the same event by any means but what it points to is the fact that uh we have been in a situation where we where our debt levels and that key measure of debt as a share of our total economy our debt to gdp is one of those key measures uh we were far far above uh uh where we are today on that measure and we managed to climb our way out of it now it's true we we wouldn't necessarily expect economic growth to come back uh uh as strongly as it did after the second world war uh but the, i think the crucial issue is when we're taking on debt if we're using it for productive investments, whether that's keeping people afloat or, or strengthening our infrastructure, we know that that pays off in terms of long-term productivity in our economy, and that actually in itself boosts our long-term economic growth potential. So we get sort of a double benefit. There's the short-term economic stimulus that you hear people talk about when government spends in a crisis. Uh, but if you're investing it smartly, investing in infrastructure, investing in people, you're actually improving the long-term productivity uh, of the economy as well, and that's going to boost our growth. That means uh, we're able to manage those debts over time as well is taking care of each other. Okay, and and your last point here, I wanted to get it in here before uh, we sort of move move on. But uh, just talking about how we much of the the debt that is currently being owed right now is actually owed uh, to the Bank of Canada. Why why is that something that is is important to point out? Well, it's worth keeping in mind because I think when we talk about debt, it can sound a little bit mysterious. We often actually don't really talk about who that debt is owed to. Uh, it, it may be. Uh, owned by private investors on the market, but as it happens, uh, a huge amount of the debt that we're taking on right now is actually owed to ourselves. It's owed to the Bank of Canada, our central bank. And so when we're our own creditors, uh, we know that we have a bit more uh, of flexibility if push comes to shove in terms of uh, rolling over that debt uh, or uh, looking at the repayment terms and, and timelines. So, you know, uh, we shouldn't be... Uh, um, uh, cowed by this construct uh, uh, of debt, we should, you know, think about the concrete reality of it, and and that we are in this interesting situation where we're our own creditors for a significant amount of it. So that's just that's just one other element of the flexibility that we have here. 
Now, I mean, of course, you make a lot of interesting and, and good points, I think, as to why, you know, we, we shouldn't necessarily be overly concerned with the, the public debt, especially in a time like this where I think, you know, people is more important than money at this stage of the game. Uh, that's my personal opinion anyway. Um, but there are a lot of people out there who are concerned about the growing debt and the impacts it could have on things like borrowing and, and just the economic uh, impacts as a whole as we start to recover. I mean, uh, I know, like I said, I think it's important that we have these programs. I think it's, it's needed yeah. for a lot of people out there but there is the other side of this too where there is a lot of concern um I, it, you know what what do you say to those people who who have um you know a real fear of, of what this means as we see this debt pile up what does it mean to consumers here uh, in the future when hopefully there is a time when we get to see things stabilize and and uh, the world go back to maybe a pre-covid level yeah i think it's it's really important that we talk about this because uh, we are going to hear soon more and more uh uh calls for belt tightening and and, and cutbacks over time as we return to normal uh and and a lot of that's going to be framed around this uh fear of public debt i i think uh, it's important to keep in mind uh two things one uh, when we're making smart public investments, that's not only the right thing to do, but that's actually going to pay off better over the long term than failing to make those investments, damaging households, damaging uh, the growth prospects of the economy uh, if we don't make those investments. The other piece is uh, that, look, uh, we are an incredibly uh, a resourceful, skilled society. Uh, we have the capacity to get back to that growth potential uh, uh, over time. And I think that's what we need to be focused on uh, uh, rather than uh, uh, moving too quickly back to that uh, cutback mentality. The real uh, uh, danger uh, I think uh, we need to be on the lookout for, and we just saw today, uh, um, uh, deflation in the economy. That's the real danger as uh, households uh, that are over leveraged, uh, feeling uncertain, uh, aren't able to uh, uh, spend that can spiral into a, a downturn in the economy and that's why uh, we need that public investment to, to boost us back up on a human level and on an economic level all right alex well i really appreciate you taking the time here i just have one more question here for you but uh, just when we're talking about this wealth tax and you brought it up a couple of times here throughout our chat and just talking about taxing the super rich i mean it's been a concept that's been you know bandied about for quite some time but yet no government ever really seems to be serious about doing it right they like the idea of it they like to talk about it every once in a while but then it never really seems to happen do you think this is something that you can ever really see i, I almost want to say in our lifetime where where the super rich actually do uh, get taxed a little bit higher than they already do. I mean, I, I know for those listening, yeah. if they are part of that super rich, I mean, good for you, and I'm jealous, and I want to be a part of it. But, um, you know, for the most part, I think people um, aren't in that category and would be more than okay with seeing a, a little bit more tax uh, investment made on their behalf. So it is possible. It's more possible than it's ever been. In, in, in technical terms, we know how to do it, and there's great uh, 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 researchers and public policy folks working on that uh, in different countries. So this is bubbling up in the U.S. Uh, there was just polling uh, in, in the past couple of days in the U.K., uh, increasing talk about a wealth tax there. Technically, we can do it. It's a question of political will, and that in turn is a, a question of what you know uh, Canadians want and, and the sort of uh, uh, pressure and attitudes they express uh, out in our public discourse and our politics. So we can do it if we want to. Uh, we, we can share that uh, wealth more equally, but it, it will take a push from, from people and from politicians for it to happen. Well, Alex, thank you so much for taking the time. Really do appreciate it, and uh, we'll do this again down the line. Thanks so much. Thanks, Jeff.
Perfect. Uh, that was Alex Hemingway, who is an economist and public finance policy analyst at the Canadian Centre for Policy Alternatives, BC office.